Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. MiniCoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out MiniCoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash MiniCoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, Tom Luongo returns as my guest. Tom hosts the Gold, Goats, and Guns podcast and blog, where he applies his detailed geopolitical analysis to financial markets. I highly recommend checking out his service, but today he joins me to discuss the latest fiscal regulatory and monetary policy, and what it all means for where we are and what is shaping up to be a civilizational struggle. Tom, welcome to the show. Good morning, Tom. How are you? How you been? I've been doing pretty well. A little rainy up here in Western New York, but nobody's banged down the door yet. Before we get started, because I haven't been following it all, and I know I've heard from a lot of people that this year's Stanley Cup playoffs have been excellent, but is there any hope with the Sabres? Because I tuned out like seven years ago. Yeah, I've been tuned out this year after the Eichel move. And what happened with Eichel? Did they find out? Did they trade him? Oh, yeah. He's gone to Las Vegas. Three franchise players they drafted in the last three drafts that I watched. And I'm like, okay, well, their future should be somewhat secure if they have anybody that's not a complete retard running the show. Oh, well. Yeah. There you go. Well, he's running the Bills too. So I don't know. That's the mystery is how could anyone who's built the Bills so far? have just failed so miserably with the Sabres, although there was a lot of failure with the Bills first. But Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm still mourning the death of Darth Regier. I still think that he was the best GM the the the, the team ever had. I think Ruff <laughs> and Regier were still the best. That, those are the glory years of the Buffalo Sabres, as far as I'm concerned. It's just... I think Ruff was the best coach. Yeah, nope. for sure. Ruff. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Lindy Ruff was the best coach, the one of the best coaches in the, in the history of this league, and he just hasn't ever been given the right than given the right set of assets. Even when he went to Dallas, he didn't get the right set of assets. He always overachieved with underachieving assets. And Regier always, you know, overachieved with, you know, not nearly enough assets in the front office. And then when he finally got too many, he finally got the assets, then he didn't know what to do with them. And he spent his his assets poorly. Regier was great as a, as a low budget overachieving GM. And that's the way Buffalo should have always that was the that was the what do you call that's the that's the regime that they should have always kept in place. Pagula just came in with way too much money and said, "Well, you know, go out and buy whatever you need." And like, that's never served that team. It's never served Regier well because he's a he's an excellent identifier of 
mid to upper tier talent, but he doesn't know how to deal with fran- quote unquote franchise level players. He just never has. So, well, speaking of questionable leadership, you know, we've got some inflation in the system. And of course we know, at least you and I do, and people who think like us, that most of the general inflation is due to, I don't know, more than doubling the money supply in two years between 2020 and 2022. But you've been talking on your podcast, Gold Goats and Guns, and in your subscriber content about some help that the Biden administration is giving to at least a gasoline price. Can you talk a little bit about, I think they're called RINs and what impact they're having? Let's talk about this. This is a thing that I've known about for a long, long time. RINs are renewable identification numbers. They're basically no different than carbon offset credits, you know, basically. So refiners, gasoline refiners and diesel fuel refiners are, are bound by law from congressional mandates to blend X number of gallons of you know, various types of renewable fuels into our petroleum-based energy system, right? And in 2022, the cellulose-based mandates from the federal government, which was set in place probably during the Obama administration, finally came into effect. And uh, the price of these offset credits, if look, if the simple truth is, is that if there's not enough ethanol to blend, then they got to buy these offset credits called RINs in order to be able to sell the fuel into the market effectively. And, you know, the, the price of RINs is set based on the number of gallons that they have to blend into the market and blah, 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 blah. And, and so, Since the day the Biden administration came into office, like D3-based fuels, the cellulose fuels, were trading at 80 cents, which is still high. And all the other types of fuels were trading at 10 to 15 cents. RINs hadn't been a a, a factor in the cost, really the cost of gasoline on diesel fuel in the United States for years, all through the Trump years and even through the last part of the Obama administration. It hadn't been an issue for a long time because... The, you know, but like everything else, they've always, they've always targeted a specific time frame to tighten the noose, just like cafe standards on miles per gallon, fleet average efficiency for cars. You know, they started out, oh, well, it's only 15 miles per gallon. Then it was 18. Then it was all of a sudden it jumps to 30. And now, if, you know, if Obama puts this stuff back in place. It's now it's got to be 54, 60 miles to the gallon. They got to average like they have to go to electric hybrids in order to be able to even sell a car in the United States anymore, right? So it's the same thing with these things. So this was always baked into the pie that along with the supply chain disruptions and everything else, that even if the supply and demand for refining fuels gets back into balance, right? Where the refiners, because during COVID, almost 2 million barrels a day worth of refining capacity worldwide was taken offline, okay? Because the refiners went out of business and the small refiners can't afford to pay the RINs. So- RINs prices in order to blend their stuff into, so they're all going to go up bankrupt. Mike Shedlock in the article that I, I mentioned in my article the other day, I linked to, you know, so there's like 36 small refiners in this country that are basically that ask for hardship variances because they can't source the friggin' ethanol and they can't pay for it. And the Biden administration said, no, now, that's just an act of economic vandalism in the face of, un, of massive disruptions in supply chains and the fuel economy and the fuel markets and everything else. If we had responsible leadership, we didn't have intentionally vandalistic people running this country design, designing policy to destroy our lives, then they would get rid of these things. They would scrap them, just like Trump immediately got rid of the cafe standards during his administration. And also, I think might have actually you know, pushed back 
the implementation of most of this renewable fuels blending nonsense. So this stuff has always been planned. This is all part of Davos's, you know, climate change hysteria to regulate our the internal combustion engine out of existence and to force us to not be able to afford to drive around. Because look, the ultimate, the end of the day, these people want complete and utter control over our lives. They want to be able to tell us what to eat, where to go, who to have sex with, where to live and, and where we can drive. Like that's what they want. And then they want to be able to tell us that, no, you're too fat. You're not allowed to have a pizza. And you drove too many miles last month. You used too much carbon. So you don't get to drive next month. You don't get to fly to go visit your mom who's dying of cancer in, you know, Colorado. Well, sorry, you took a trip to South Florida last week. You don't get to go to Colorado to visit your dying mom. That's the world that they want. Okay. And they will get it by any means necessary. And they will do it through this insane and moralistic and ridiculous regulatory state. This is the real enemy. Aside from the fact that it's all being driven by a bunch of racist European technocratic oligarchs who want their colonies back. Well, the hell with that stuff. I'm just talking about every day. These people honestly believe that they are trying to save humanity from themselves, from ourselves by, you know, telling us we're not allowed to like burn fossil fuels, which is just dumb. And they don't have a replacement for it. They all think, I mean, Pete Buttigieg, the transportation secretary, said what came out the other day, well, sell your truck and go buy an electric car. Like, but I need a truck to like move hay around. And to, you know, pull my tractor and to do my work because I, you know, I live rurally. Well, you know, no, never mind. We're going to like automate all the farms. You don't need to do that. You can go get, go get an apartment and sit around and play video games and, and, and sit on UBI until you, you know, die of, until you die of type two diabetes complications, because that's what we want. And, and COVID vaccine complications, because that's what we actually want to make sure happens because we actually don't in any way, manner, shape, or form, actually want you to live and partake in society because you're the wrong kind of person. Just, oh my God, you want to own a pickup truck. Oh my God, that's just beyond the freaking pale. Well, let me just restate this Rin's situation. No, no problem. But I want to make sure I and the audience understand it. So let's just say you and I are refiners. Sure. And I am 100% compliant with the amount of ethanol I'm putting into the gasoline I'm refining. And you're only 50%. I'm actually earning credits that I can sell into a secondary market and you would buy enough to bring yourself up to compliance. Is that right? Yeah. And the fact of the matter is that we don't even have enough ethanol to blend into the gasoline because there's not enough corn being planted because corn stocks here in the, because corn supplies here in the United States stock, right. That we have in silos or, you know, at at like a five-year low where we're behind the curve on planting this season. We were behind the curve in 2021 of the planting. So like, there's not going to be any ethanol. We had ethanol refiners all go out of business during COVID, you know, because they couldn't get any propane to dry the, the, to dry the corn. So just because we planted, just because you get crop reports from the EPA saying, well, you know, we've planted X number of acres of corn doesn't mean one, that the corn's actually going to grow. That's one. Two, that it actually makes it to harvest. Three, or three, gets dried to the point where it doesn't rot so that it can be stored until it's actually needed. Right. I mean, this is all part of the process. Now it takes propane, which is at an all time high price. Now it takes all this other stuff in order to lose 30,000 BTUs per freaking gallon to blend ethanol into gasoline. And we have to pay the energy cost to do all this to then blend a lower BTU value fuel into the freaking into the gasoline to make our cars go shorter distances. Right. Because our, our mileage drops by 10 percent 
if we if we if they actually run if you actually run ninety percent ethanol fuel over regular gasoline, there's just fewer BTUs. Moreover, it gets even worse than that because now the Biden administration came out and mandated that they blend at up to fifteen percent, and most of the cars on the market cannot handle the fifteen percent ethanol percentage in the in their fuel. All the seals and bushings and everything else are all designed around a maximum ten percent. There's there's that much more water, which is going to be that much more corrosive in the the because water is a byproduct of burning ethanol. It's a far greater percentage of the byproduct of burning ethanol because you've already got a hydroxyl group in the ethanol. That's what ethanol is. It's 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 ethane with a hydroxyl group on it. You, you cleave off a hydrogen, you make water, you burn the free, when you burn the fuel. When you're trying to burn gasoline, you're burning a straight chain hydrocarbon. There's no OH group. Remember, chemist. I know this stuff. Like <laughs> Duh, this isn't tough. You're burning a straight chain hydrocarbon. You're mixing fuel and oxygen. And yeah, you get some water as the byproduct. We don't get near the amount of water that you get when you burn ethanol. Because there's there's already a hydroxyl group ready and waiting to pull a freaking hydrogen. So every mole or every you know gallon of ethanol that you burn, you're going to get X number of getting X amount of water. You're not getting the same, nearly the same percentage of water. So the whole process is that much more. Like I didn't, I, I must not have explained this properly in my article because I actually got, I actually got like comments on zero hedge by people who think they know the chemistry. Like, well, Luongo obviously fell asleep during chemistry class. No, I only have a degree in the <laughs> like Christ on a crutch. I only did 25 years as a bench chemist, but oh, you know, you know something because you like, because you know something about the internet. Like shut the, it's just, it's, it's infuriating, Tom. It's to the point now where honestly the whole Let's go Brandon movement in this country doesn't actually cover how outraged we should be. These people all need to be thrown out of office. They all need to be thrown in jail. And all of these regulations need to be made null and void, period, in every way, manner, shape or form. Because no matter what happens here, if the supply and demand of of gasoline and diesel fuel gets back in the balance, meaning the refiners are making enough gas and all the all the supply chains for getting the the, the feedstock to the right refiners, the right grade of crude to the right refiners to make the stock and all the all the refiners are working at their standard like 91% capacity because there's there's always about 10% capacity that's under maintenance like when the when the whole system is running efficiently again gas is still going to be $6 a gallon because they have to pay three and a half dollars a gallon for the freaking rents and they have to pass that cost on to you it's it, it's insane ostensibly the idea when he first said he wasn't mandating but he was going to allow refiners to put a a higher percentage of ethanol in was based on kind of the narrative that we may have an oil shortage, which which they they created. created. First, they break your legs, then they give you a crutch, and then they say, see, without us, you can't even walk. So why would he have to mandate it? Oh, because it's not a matter of needing to mandate it. It's It's a matter of wanting to mandate it. There is plenty of gasoline out there. They want the price of gasoline high. They can already see that the sanctions haven't worked. They can already see that the United States is still importing. By the way, the, the United States is still importing Russian uh, crude oil. But the Europeans are importing more crude oil now after the oil embargo than they did before the oil embargo. <laughs> and how is that happening? I thought the Europeans might be doing it through like a proxy like Saudi Arabia or somebody. But- it's not even that. They're still buying it directly from the Russians because most of the embargo um, provisions haven't even gone into effect yet. So they're going to buy all the Ru- they're going to buy all the Russian oil that they can get their hands on for the next six months, front run the embargo, fill up their friggin' storage tanks, right? 
and then go see now we're not going to buy anymore by then the russians will have shipped will have moved all of their pipeline and and shipping production east because they've got spare i just saw this this morning they have almost a million barrels a day worth of spare pipeline capacity to go to vladivostok or the kamchatka peninsula there's two or three places on the kamchatka peninsula where they're where their where their ter- their their pipelines terminate into oil processing facilities and ports. Can't remember the names of all these places off the top of my head. But that whole area is going to want it, and they're just going to and the coffee and cake run for running uh, oil and oil pr- and, and petroleum products around the world isn't going to go from you know St. Petersburg to Rotterdam anymore, which used to move like two million barrels a day. Literally, ships would just make a five day run back and forth. Now it's going to be from Vladivostok to Beijing. Seoul, South Korea, and Tokyo, and Osaka. Like, that's where it's going to go. You know what I mean? So, like, that's going to be the coffee and cake run 10 years from now. And all that production is already shifting, so it doesn't even matter. So here in the U.S., we're still buying all their oil because we need to, okay? Like, it doesn't matter. We just, you know, we just mandate X, and then Janet Yellen, like, approves the freaking trades. Well, what's the official excuse for this? There is no official excuse for this. It's just doing it. You think these people actually care about things like they just want to write headlines to move price? They just want a virtue signal. Okay. I, I, you know, they, like they say X and then everybody believes X and then they don't ever report that Y actually is happening or that not X is actually happening. That's what they do. Like most of the people in this country still think that Ukraine is winning, by the way. By the way, they're not. You know, a lot of people in this country still think that plant food is a friggin' terminal friggin' poison. Like we're all gonna die from CO from CO2 pro- production. Like these people are dumb. It's already been it's all been debunked. And all of this this narrative is just to get us out of our cars because they don't want us having look, cheap gasoline and cheap energy has always been the bane of all of the oil, the Western oligarchic class going all the way back to Julian Huxley and UNESCO and all the rest of that stuff, they've had a 75 or 80-year policy of trying to make energy as expensive as possible for the West because humanity cannot be trusted with cheap access to energy so that we can actually have a golden age. We're not allowed to do that because they see us as a virus that's going to destroy the planet. Okay? They're Agent Smith from The Matrix. Literally. That's who they are. I'm not kidding. Like, I'm, 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 it's not even funny. It's who they are. Read their stuff. Read their unreadable white papers. Listen to their friggin' un, un, unlistenable TED Talks. Do the, do the work, and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. And then, then go look at the policy. And it all gets implemented, slowly but surely, in a quid pro quo fashion on Capitol Hill. When they get riders and introduced into, 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 into irrelevant bills, but it pushes the ball forward. And they've been doing it for 70 years, these people. Like and they and they're right on the cusp of like getting it all done. So you think they're you think they're going to back off now? Like no, in, in their minds they're like they're on the verge of winning. We need to stop them. We need to just destroy them. We need to start ignoring them. And the you know and the refiners just need to ship fuel and then tell the you know the DOE to go scratch. Oh, you're gonna well you're gonna fine us. Okay, great. I don't care. Rack up the fines, baby. Go rack up the fines for every refiner in the United States. You guys won't even you guys won't even be able to get the gas necessary to drive out to the refinery to hand us the friggin' hand us the fine or to take us to jail for not paying the fines. Like at some point, if everybody just stops listening to these unbelievable, ungodly bureaucrats, the whole thing just the whole thing just stops. And the world goes back to normal. 
Two things about that is that I was talking to a friend the other day and he was referring to the Davos theory, for lack of a better term, as a conspiracy theory, not in a derogatory way. And I pointed out a conspiracy is something that's secret. There is no secret here. Time Magazine ran the Great Reset where they explain what they want to do. Bob Murphy's podcast, I'd say maybe about six weeks ago, six, eight weeks ago, he did a series on Klaus Schwab, and he kind of had this light bulb moment too that this isn't just some pointy-headed socialist academic over in Europe. He was created by Henry Kissinger back in the 70s. Who do you think created the World Economic Forum? Whitney Webb's already done all the work on this. Kissinger created this nonsense, and now his creation has gotten away from him, and it's threatening to blow up the entire world of realpolitik that he helped create. The whole thing is like these people are going for these people are going for fourth wave feminism, the fourth industrial revolution, full on French nihilistic communism, like all of it, like the worst kind of communism. They're not even like British practical commies who just want to make three, you know, just want to make three wheeled cars, and you know. But no, these people are like like the, the worst kind of French nihilists. And it's not just Schwab, but the, the, one of his other members there at the World Economic Forum, and his name escapes me, actually did a TED Talk. Yuval Hariri. Yeah, right. About the transhumanist part of this, where people, they, the elites, are going to become almost a different species and that are superior to the rest of us. I mean, they talk openly about this I know. Stuff. I know, dude, I've been, I've said this on multiple podcasts. I'm just flashing back to when I read Bug Jack Perrin in college by Norman Spinrat. Like if you've never, like it takes a particular kind of person to read a lot of really iconoclastic 60s and 70s science fiction, Philip K. Dick, Ursula Guin, Norman Spinrat and others. These guys were not, you know, Phil Dick was a philosopher and and a religious theorist, as well as a social commentator and everything else. He was the, he was the full nine yards. Norman Spinrad was a was a political polemicist masquerading as a science fiction writer, but he was brilliant. So go back and read The Iron Dream. You know, what if the premise of which being what if Hitler wrote science fiction as opposed to taking over Germany or Bug Jack Barron, where a shock radio host uncovers a plan by the elites to make themselves immortal by feeding off of the pituitary glands of infants. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound a little bit like, you know, a bunch of adrenochrome drinking freaking ghoul, vampiric ghouls running around Europe? Like, you know, it, does it sound, sound like Alex Jones? This is 1969. This book was written. And he was right then because he knew exactly who these people were then because they were talking about this stuff in these terms then. But it took a particular type of forward thinking, crazy man like Norman Spinrad, who wrote unbelievably cool books about the death of the music industry, the death of the death of, of, of male, female relationships. I mean, all of his books are heavily induced with sex. So if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, prurient, you know, sheltered 17 year old, you know, reading this stuff. And it was, it was fun when I was 17 and I was like, Oh, look, you know, she's getting a, you know, she's giving him a job. That's great. But you know, but the bigger picture was like, holy Christ, this world is really, really screwed up. And and I just keep going back to that over and over and over again. I'm like, that book is just freaking prescient in a way that is like is scary. I mean, much it's even scarier than some of the predictions that Phil Dick made about our about the ennui of the of the of the the technocratic world that they were building back then. He could see this stuff being architected back in the 60s. But then again, these guys were all friends. 
and they all talked amongst themselves. You can imagine being in that version of the of the North uh, Northern California version of the Bloomsbury Group, right? If you know literary your literary history, the Bloomsbury Group with with the, the group of modernists around 1910, 1920, where Virginia Woolf and Ian Forster and and W. H. Auden and all these guys, they were all part of that group. Ezra Pound, yada yada yada. They were all uh, they all knew each other, right? And they were all part of this group of people that got together you know, sex with each other and drank and drank themselves into stupor and sat around and, and talked and they influenced each other's work. Well, the same kind of thing was happening in the counter 60s counterculture in Northern California here in the United States amongst the science fiction community. And so these guys were all these all these brilliant men were all and women were all riffing off of each other amazingly. And their work wound up being a synthesis of what we were to truly expect going forward. They weren't the Heinleins and the Arthur C. Clarks and the Asimovs. They were what they were called the science fiction writers, the counterculture writers were interested in the philosophy of using science fiction as a, as a speculative trope, not as a not speculating on technology, but spe- speculating on societal trends. Right. They were very, very interesting. They had more in, they had more in in touch with spiritually and, and, and intellectually with people like Franz Kafka than they would ever have had with our. Right. To give you an idea of what I'm, where I'm coming from on this stuff unbelievably brilliant people and those were the people that shaped who i was coming at you know going into college it's what i was reading in late you know my last couple of years of high school and all through college i read all that stuff and i read herbert and frank dune you know frank herbert's dune and all of that stuff and you just see it all kind of laying out and god if dune isn't one of the most prescient books ever made ever written as an as a metaphor for what we're going through right now it's unbelievable every day Sorry, I, sorry, I went off on that tangent. But seriously, people like this—that period of science fiction in American science fiction—unbelievably fertile. No, it's good stuff because people do need to read fiction. You read fiction from several decades ago, as you just demonstrated, and some of these people had tremendous insight about where these trends in 1910 were going to be in 2022. And what we're really talking about is kind of a reverse industrial revolution. So the industrial revolution raised the living standards of the average person exponentially. Yes. And what they would like is to go back to pre-industrial revolutionary life for all of us, where they are kind of at the top, still flying their private jets. It's it's H.G. Wells, the time machine. I mean, seriously, everybody forgets that like the time machine is like was uh, that Wells was a socialist and that the time machine was his vision of the fu- of the technocratic future. I mean, the time machine is contemporary to Brave New World. And Huxley was writing it as a warning. And H.G. Wells was writing it as an owner's manual. But you don't think Jay Powell is necessarily on board with the program, unlike 2008, where they all colluded together. Sure. Because the Fed was run by a globalist named Bernanke. Powell's not a globalist. Powell may be incompetent. That's I'm not I'm not I'm not going to have that argument. That's 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 the argument to have when I, you know, if I can ever get in the room with like Daniel Martino Booth and Judy Shelton and a few others, like we really sit down and like, oh, is he incompetent or is he off the reservation? And we can have the private conversation because these people would never have that conversation in public. But they know. FYI. You got to read between the lines when you listen to Daniel Martino Booth speak. She's almost always telling you that the Fed is off the reservation with Davos. They're doing this on purpose. They're confirming all of my theories on this stuff. But you have to read between the lines because she can't say it publicly because she's not allowed because she's because of who she is. So because of who she is. 
And that's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'll say that for her. I'll be her wingman. I'm good. Like, because she's awesome. She's fantastic. And, but I don't think Powell is on, you know, I, I, the standard libertarian trope that the thing and the Fed, yada, 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 that we, it was given to us by the great Ron Paul. It's more nuanced than that today. 15 years ago, it was easy. The Fed was a globalist organization coordinating monetary policy with all the evil globalist oligarchs to destroy your destroy the middle class, roll up all the wealth and take over the world. Well, they did that part of it. Now they're trying to finish the taking over the world part. They rolled up all the wealth. In, uh, they, they stole all the wealth in the middle class. They rolled it all up to the to their friends in the banking industry. And now they're going for the whole Megillah where now they now the system is so broken that now they got to get rid of the commercial banking system. And what the and what le- and what vestiges of capitalism we have left in the West, in order to implement full on crazy postmodern French communism, these people are commies. I'm going to be re- I'm not usually reductionist about many things. I know people get angry about me get w- with me about this because oh no they're really democratic socialists they're really fascists they're really- no screw you they're freaking commies stop it. Your reason why you make that you do that is because you've been imprinted that communism isn't as bad as fascism. Why? Because the commies wrote the freaking textbooks. That's why. To make you believe that there's some fundamental difference between all of these different versions of collectivism. All of those isms reduce to communism every freaking time. So just shut up and embrace it. It's not hard. You know, just in, embrace your inner Joe McCarthy. He is because he was a drunk doesn't mean he was wrong. Like, it's not that tough. That's a line I stole from my friend Dexter White. So I got to give him credit for that one because it's, it's, it's brilliant. Because every time he says it to me, I'm like, yeah, you're right. So Powell is clearly raising interest rates against Davos's wishes, clearly against the, the Biden administration's wishes. They, they played fast and loose for nine months with this friggin' confirmation hearing, for Christ's sake. They tried to go, they, they tried to frame him, you know, in an insider trading scandal for trading friggin' SPY options, for Christ's sake. Come on, people. What else is he allowed, though? If he's not allowed to invest in the friggin', in the friggin S&P 500, then what's he allowed to invest in? Public storage? Like, I don't understand. I mean, it's just bum. And like I've gone over this on many a, a previous podcast, many a previous interview. Like I, I don't want to rehash it here, but Powell is private equity Powell. Jamie Dimon, the head of J.P. Morgan, who by the way didn't go to Davos this year, and I told you for I told everybody six months ago that it was Dimon driving the bus on this behind the scenes. That Dimon was the one giving Joe Manchin the spine to stand up to Democratic leadership and Kirsten Cinema to stand up to Democratic leadership. That Dimon is the one trying to un- to to undermine Yellen and Gensler on cryptocurrency legislation, even though he hates Bitcoin, but he loves Ethereum. But that's fine. That's a different uh, discussion for a different day. I just wrote my first article for Bitcoin Magazine about this the other day. But Diamond's not stupid. And then he comes out the other day. He doesn't go to Davos. Pointedly, does not go to this year's Davos meeting. Whereas Brian, Brian Moynihan, you know, couldn't get on his knees for Kyle Schwab fast enough over, from, over at BOFA. Same thing with Larry Fink. But by, but Diamond wasn't there. And then he comes out the other day and says two things very, very important. When Diamond opened his mouth, you have to listen. Because he's, by the way, a board member of the Federal Reserve, the, of the New York Fed as well, right? Because who owns the New York Fed? All the member, all the U.S. New York member banks, right? Sure. J.P. Morgan, blah, 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 blah. Right? 
And he comes out to two things he said in the last week. One, there's going to be there's a hurricane coming economically that we can't avoid. That's his way of saying his boy, Jay Powell, is going to break the economy because he has to because he's got bigger fish to fry. Those people over in Davos that he didn't go hobnob with this year. And the second thing he said the other day is, look, I am not woke. I am a full throated, red blooded, freaking capitalist to the core. Now, he's also a corporatist. Right. He also likes his he also likes his, you know, he also likes his one way trades. Don't don't let's not let's not get crazy here. I'm not lying. I'm not here to lionize Jamie Dimon. He's acting in his own best interest and his own best interest is he's going to protect J.P. Morgan Chase from a bunch of European technocratic inbred colonialists. This is that simple. That's who Klaus Schwab is. And he's a Nazi. Like it's, it's who he is. This is not tough. Like, you know, he comes from Nazi stock. He's actually now he's now now he's just a freaking communist. It's like it's not tough. These people are just evil and they just need to be destroyed. And I honestly believe that it is Morgan that started the process of trying to to separate the European banking system from the American banking system because they were the ones who refused categorically to collateralize any European sovereign debt or any European corporate debt all during 2019 leading up to the to the repo crisis of September 2019. JP Morgan fomented that crisis on purpose. Let's take a short break for this important message. Friends, if you like to read books as much as I do, there comes a time when you realize you just won't ever find the time to read every book you're interested in. Well, I have great news. Blinkist offers the key ideas from nonfiction bestsellers in as little as 15 minutes. For most books and their extensive library, you can choose to read or listen to Blinks, which summarize the main ideas and allow you to absorb whole books in the time it takes to run your daily errands or commute to work. Not only does Blinkist allow you to glean the information you need from books you don't have time to read, it helps you to decide which ones to spend time reading and get more details. You can try out Blinkist for free and get 20% off your first year by going to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T. That's TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Blinkist. Start your free trial and get 20% off today. And now let's get back to the show. We help each other when we don't mean to. That's what we call the invisible hand. Something no politician understands. Just leave it up. There's a couple things I want to say about what you just said. One, for anyone who thinks it's kind of far-fetched because you can't go find a leaked email, you can't put your finger on anything, it's not so much that this is the white hats against the black hats, but it's a turf war. Absolutely. And we're caught in the middle. And sometimes and sometimes in this turf war, you're going to get powerful people on your side or you're going to have temp- the temporary ally. Like The Fed is not acting in, out of some grand desire to save us from the evil that is davos like this isn't star wars folks i'm a big star wars fan but i'm not not an idiot this is you know this is the age old this is the this is the line from babylon 5 that the universe operates on the curious admixture of matter energy and enlightened self-interest 
They're just acting in their own best interest. And when you've pushed people to their existential crisis moment, when they, you've pushed their thing that they get up in the morning to do, that's their life, that's their raison d'etre, that's their purpose for living, which in Jamie Dimon's case is to run J.P. Morgan. And you push a policy that's going to do away with all the commercial banks and all that power and all that money and all that ability to coordinate capital and everything else. You got to ask yourself the question, he's really going to turn it over to a bunch of European commies? Really? You really think that? Like, I'm sorry, but if you're not willing to at least entertain that idea, if all you can do is then turn around and go, well, but the Fed can't really raise interest rates too far because that would blow out the budget deficit. That would do this and that would do this. And like, dudes, we're dealing with a bunch of globo commies who want to destroy capital, every vestige of capitalism in the world. They want to take away every aspect of freedom that you actually have, period. Under those circumstances, you really don't think that the Fed's not willing to go through a five-year depression, raise interest rates, and destroy these people? Because you have to destroy their power base. And their power base is the offshore dollar markets, where they can control and create more credit than the Fed can, which is now ripping off of Jeff Snyder over at Alhambra Partners, talking about euro dollar, the euro dollar system being the thing that is actually sets our monetary policy. But if that is, but if the if if the the American commercial banking interests, as personified by Jerome Powell, as the head of the FOMC, has decided to take back control of domestic monetary policy. And we're at a moment in time where the Western financial system is so weak because it's so over leveraged that the euro dollar system itself is on the verge of complete collapse. Because guess what? The global south is de-dollarizing thanks to the Russians who are now putting that whole European architecture on a commodity currency standard. You will buy gas with rubles. You will buy wheat with rubles. You will buy oil with rubles. You will do this with rubles. And rubles are tied to oil and they're tied to gold. Luke Roman is absolutely right about all of this. The Russians are putting Europe on a commodity-based standard and their debt-based currency, which is not even, you know, it's not even an organized thing. It's a, it's a completely disorganized monetary system where, where Italy and France and Germany and everybody else can issue debt at whatever rate they want. But everybody's using Germany's credit rating because the other one's back, backstopping the whole thing, you know, as they're as their basic lending rate. And this is the fundamental problem with the euro. The euro is not an organized currency with one issuer of the debt like we have here in the United States. Martin Armstrong makes this point all the time. It would be like Indiana and New York and Florida all issuing treasury debt and the Fed trying to coordinate it all. And the ECB is like a deer caught in the headlights. And right now they're actually like, you know, they're actually just, they're actually like a guy, like a rag doll with the Fed on one side pulling on the left arm and Vladimir Putin on the other side pulling on the right arm and going, hey, ready? Pull. And they pulled the entire thing apart. And, and Lagarde just proved this to us this morning when she went to the when, with the ECB's latest statement. Because she said, oh, yeah, we're going to end QE and we're going to raise interest rates and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, we, of course, stand ready to implement a new you know, QE program if necessary, because we've always done this in the past. Like, oh, you, you will be doing that. Okay, like this is what's happening here. And the political situation in Europe is a freaking mess. But what do you think these people are trying to do here? 
What do you think these Davos trolls are trying to do here? They're trying to create the perception around the world that the United States military can't fight in you know, a ground war because we're the ones that architected the Ukrainian army's defense against the Russians. It's it's their army with our tactics, our 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 leadership and intelligence and our weaponry. And then you have the mess that is Washington, D.C. And now we've got the Democrats activating every crazy they have to, you know, start the summer of violence like they did in 2020. They're trying to present to the world that the United States is like falling into civil war. Why? Because they're trying to freeze capital from fleeing out of Europe and coming to the U.S. Meanwhile, the dollar's in a freaking bull market and the Fed's raising interest rates by 50 basis points every six weeks. Like you can see the situation like Europe is screwed here and they're doing it. And the Fed is doing it on purpose because these people reach for their godhood. And Jamie Dimon went, you know what? No, done. Like it's that simple. All we got to do is have the Fed like show show up and just start raising rates. They're not raising rates to kill inflation, Tom. They're raising rates to destroy the political capital of their enemies. And when you frame it in that, when you frame the Fed's policy in those terms, the Fed, what the Fed is doing makes complete sense. And they're willing to take at least one or two punches in the mouth. The political messaging from here has to be very Reagan-esque. We all need to tighten our belts. We all need to come together as a country. We all need to solve these problems that the Democrats made for us. And we need to kick out this entire generation of octogenarian boomers who have destroyed our country. So let me run something by you, because I know you got to get out of here. Here's a theory. Now, we always used to talk in the old Ron Paul days about sooner or later, we're going to abuse the dollar so badly that it's going to be replaced by something else. But it seems like, and this would fit into your theory, the world is breaking up into camps. And certainly people are trying to demonetize. Is there a situation where, assuming Powell is trying to do what you're saying and Diamond and the rest that they torch Europe, the dollar takes over all of that previous euro demand, and you've got part of the world operating on a dollar that is propped up now because there's no euro to compete with it, and another part on this other standard, whatever they come up with between Russia and China. Where do you think that leaves the standard of living of Americans? Look, look, we're going to have to go through a very ugly period. Like, there's no way of getting around it, okay? Because commodity prices, because they're going to build a commodity standard. Like the day that comes, like I, I was listening to something the other day. Judy Shelton was talking about this the other day in a, in a behind the paywall podcast she did with Grant Williams about one of the things that they were floating during the Trump administration, Mnuchin and company were floating. Remember, they were talking about 1500 year bonds, but what they never talked about, what they never mentioned was that they were going to, that they were going to be redeemable in gold at the end of, at the, at the end of the note. Okay. Now, believe whether or not they're going they're going to have the gold 50 or 100 years from now all you want, but the truth of the matter is, is what they were thinking about what they were talking about doing was re-monetizing in that respect, tying the future of the United States to issue the to roll out the debt that we currently have into low interest rate redeemable in gold debt. And balance and help balance the budget that way. That would that would mean, of course, that the Fed would then have the markets gold to market, allow the price of gold to rise, because then you can allow the price of gold to rise, and then you wouldn't you wouldn't be paying 
you know, if the price of gold rises by 5%, because the thing is backed by, even if it's only five or 10% backed by gold, you know, you get 10% of your, your principal back, you know, in, in gold or dollars, your choice at the end, even if that, you know, as the bond rise, as the as gold rises in value, so does the price of the bond. And then of course the interest rate being, I mean, and now you created a real market for real, for us debt that's sustainable. And now you can, cut back on spending. Now you can retire all the other debt. Now you can do a whole lot of things you couldn't do before. And what's to keep the Chinese and the Russians from doing that first and forcing us onto the same standard? Yeah, I would think that if that scenario I mentioned played out, that sooner or later, the dollar would have to be something different than it's been. Even if it does get rid of the euro, because you've got this competitor out there that's commoditized. What's going to happen to Europe is that the euro is going to wind up as a regional currency block, just exactly as Jim Rickards has been talking about for like 12, 15 years now. At the northern currency block, with their far more industrious economies and far more, you know, efficient labor, use of labor, are going to, there's going to be a two-tiered, either a two-tiered monetary system within the European Union, which they've talked about it and it's been rejected, or they're going to have to, you know, kick a whole bunch of countries out. And the next 18 months are going to be very interesting politically in Europe. And I don't know that a lot of these current Davos-controlled Davos, you know, appointed governments, places like Germany and Italy and Denmark and the Netherlands and Poland and blah, 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 Bulgaria, which is now in the process of failing, Estonia, which is in the process of failing, Greece, yada, 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 all these countries, you know, they're not going to survive this next 18 months. If Emmanuel Macron in France, for example, doesn't get a parliamentary majority, he's president with, you know, a hostile Congress, right? He's got split government in France. That, that means France is neutered. You've got the you've got the UK that is now in trouble. Boris Johnson's going to lose his premiership in probably the next six weeks. Right? So, and that's being done to undermine Brexit. Okay, and get the UK back into the European fold. Whatever. Titanic changes are happening. Europe is going to have to go through, and they're going to they're going to have to implement a digital euro in order to survive, and then and then roll all the wealth of Europe up into the ECB and kill all off the member central banks and actually finally do the debt consolidation thing that they should have done at the beginning, but they couldn't do politically. The United States can survive this. What the what Davos is trying to do is trying to consolidate Europe and break up the US to make it simple. It's not, it's not going to work because the, it's not going to work because the United States is too the 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 the, de- the the decentralized nature of our government is too strong. Okay. And New York is being turned into a museum. Everybody who knows how to um, manipulate capital and cares about manipulating capital and invest money, they're all moving to Florida and Texas. Wall Street is going to be, you know, West Palm Beach. Okay. It's happening right now. You know, the, the, every time I do another talk or I do another big interview or whatever with somebody, I, I meet another financial professional. I get some guy reaches out to me, for, you know, through Telegram or LinkedIn or this, that, and everything else. And they all wind up being, Family office managers, hedge fund guys, guys setting up new regional banks, blah, 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 blah. I have met so many high-powered, you know, in the last three months, I've met half a dozen of these guys. And they're all moving out of New York. Every bit of them. All of their people are all moving out of New York. It's all going away. Okay? The Hamptons still matter, but only for about another year or two. After that, it's going to all, it's all going to be West Palm Beach. It's all going to be who you know in South Florida. Okay, I'm dead serious. All the money, all the money's moving down there, and all the right wing and the and the source of all quote unquote right wing media is coming from there. The Democrats are going to be with that, are going to be out of power after the midterms, and it's going to be an inflection point in U.S. history. Okay, and if they steal the election, that is the only thing that could actually create a civil war in this country. 
Meaning if the Democrats somehow hold on to only a 20, you know, only only lose 20 seats, the Democrats should lose 100 seats under these circumstances, if not 150. They should be wiped out as a party. They should be they should be not only just wiped out as a party, but most of their leadership literally thrown in jail, along with the the highly over politicized now FBI. Right. But they're going to go for Soros style vote fraud of an unbelievable proportion. And right now you can see it within Davos There's a kind of, you know, do we do the Kissinger thing and super peace with Russia and try and stop the Russians from taking any more territory? Or do we do the Soros thing and keep pushing until, you know, everybody dies in a fiery blaze of, of, of nuclear war? Because that's what Soros wants. He just wants to win. He doesn't give a damn how he wins. And he's willing to risk a nuclear war in order to get it. He said as much as Davos this year, go read between the lines. So this is what we're looking at. But I think the United States survives this. And I, I don't know that the dollar survives in the current form or, or our government doesn't survive. Maybe even the government doesn't survive in its current form. But I, I can tell you that we're closer to the end of this egalitarian, identitarian nonsense than we are to the beginning of it. OK, because once the boomers are gone, Gen X is going to take over and Gen X is going to tear all of this down. Every freaking bit of it. And the millennials are going to piss wine bitch and moan about it until they take over but we're going to turn it turn we're going to turn it we should have turned we should have started tearing it down in 2012 because we were old enough then to start tearing it down in 2012 2016 the boomers have hung on until they're you know they're they're rotting they're they're choking on their dentures like pelosi so you're still pretty optimistic no i'm not optimistic i think it's going to be terrible i think a lot of people are going to i think it's going to be it's going to be the 70s on steroids it's going to be awful this is going to be violence is going to be social unrest is going to be massive reorganization and a lot of belt tightening and a lot of people getting reprioritized as to what isn't is and is not important and a whole bunch of you know tranny story hour stuff is going to go is going to become a thing of the past really soon now you know we're all sitting here going how did we go from like yeah you know training you know the transgender people are kind of important to, you know, you know, they're part of society. Sure. Let's acknowledge the fact that they're part of society. 18 months later, we were talking about tranny bathrooms during the Obama administration. And now look where we are today. Right. Like, guess what? That same 18 month time frame is going to be like, do you remember when we used to argue about trannies? Because we don't anymore. Do you remember that guy, Kosh Schwab? That's where we, this is, by the way, this is where we need to get to. We need to get to that moment in time where you walk out your door, Tom, and you go and hang out and you go to check, you go, you go to your mailbox and your and your and, and your neighbors doing the same thing. And yes, they say hi to each other and you sit and have a quick chat. I don't know if you're friendly with your neighbors or not. Hell, my my nearest neighbor's a quarter of a mile away. <laughs> so am I. But you know, just hypothetically speaking, you're sitting there, you know, eh, you know, how you doing? What's going on with the kids? Blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, well, this one's going to college, yada, yada, yada. You remember that guy Klaus wanting to get into politics a little bit because you know you're not really on the, the opposite sides of the fence from each other. Yeah, you remember that guy Klaus Schwab that was trying to take over the world? If you- and your neighbor looks at you and goes, No, I don't. That's the world we need to get to. We need to get to the world where we don't care about any of this stuff, that these people don't exist anymore, that it's so that they're so far in the rearview mirror. It's like the opening of episode four of Star Wars, the Jedi's ancient religion thing. The Jedi Sith War is over. That ancient religion is gone. It's so far removed from our and it's but guess what? It's you remember those transnational commies that all wanted to take the globalists and want to take over the world. Yeah, we don't remember those people. You know why? Life is really peaceful because everything just works because everybody goes to work and everybody likes going to work. 
and raising their kids and taking them to and taking them to ball games. But it's going to take us 20 years to get back to that. But you think we eventually get there? I don't think we have a choice. It's either that or nuclear war, and it doesn't matter. Like it's that simple. Those that's the choice that's being put in front of us right now. Because when you ask people whether or not they want to be nuked, then it all of a sudden reprioritizes them. And now they all of a sudden they realize that we're dealing with an existential threat. And once there's people are faced with an existential crisis, that's when you find out who they are. And that's at the point when everybody goes, yeah, the tranny bathroom stuff does not matter. You know what matters? My kids. And that's why the Roe versus Wade thing is not going anywhere. Okay. That's why this, 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 this outrage over losing Roe v. Wade isn't playing at all. But they're gonna, but they're gonna kill people this summer over it, just like they killed people over George Floyd. But the difference this time is we're not, we're we're just we're not gonna go down that route. We're not gonna go down down that route with them because the people they're like they've figured out a lot of the and I'm talking specifically about the Hispanics and the African American or black community. They understand that this is all being this is this is all just the outrage and vitriol of a bunch of upper middle class white women who don't want who want to abort black babies, and they get it. Go listen to their YouTubers. Go listen to their their influencers. Go listen to their podcasters. And you'll hear the anger. And you'll hear that they get it. When you realize that they get it, they're never going back to the Democratic Party. And when they never go back to the Democratic Party, there ain't no amount of vote fraud in the world that will get uh, George, that will implement George Soros' God complex to take over the world. That's that that's that stuff's over. Well, let's leave it there. Let's see what happens. We have an interesting summer in front of us. I think so. And I've heard every prediction from recessions coming in two months to it's not going to be here for two years. I think this month is the first month we actually start sucking real money out of the money supply because he's been raising rates. He hasn't been letting his balance sheet roll off. It's not really a matter of, look, most of the money that was printed, this is the point I didn't make earlier. Most of the money that's been printed has been sterilized. Right, five trillion dollars is sitting over five trillion dollars has been printed as sterilized. You got two trillion dollars sitting on the reverse repo facility. You got three point seven trillion dollars in in excess reserves, like the, the various types. Like the money's been sterilized; it's just sitting there. It's incipient inflation. So what they've got to do is, and then the Fed is going to be running off their balance sheet. What are they going to do with that money? They're going to sell treasuries and and use those dollars to buy the you know to they're going to they're going to get dollars in return, and then they're going to re- retire those dollars. And there's going to be a lot of money. And then moreover, and this is another thing that, that, that Shelton brought up, which is that as the Fed raises interest rates, the, the amount of money that the, tread, that the Fed set, remits back to the Treasury for the profit off of their bond portfolio, which was last year was $120 billion, that's going to reverse because the rates are going to rise and they're going to, they're, they're not, they have to pay out a higher rates to these people in IOER and RRP rates. And so that money's going to drop. And then like at some point, the thing is going to balance and the Fed's going to have to, and the Fed's going to ask Congress for a bill saying, well, you owe us money because, you know, I'm like, that's not what's going to happen. The Fed's just going to run off $125 billion in their balance sheet. They're going to have a whole bunch of cash sitting on the books. They'll keep five, they'll keep five in reserve and they'll send a little bit of money back to the treasury department. And they'll, you know what I mean? They, they have the option of not retiring the money. They could leave the cash on their balance sheet. They are allowed. You know, they can do something with it. They can reinvest it in something else. Like they can, they can play games with it. So don't, don't for a minute think that that can't happen. So I, I, I found that part of the argument, I found it compelling, but also kind of specious. So, you know, they've got, they've got the tools this time. This is a much different problem than Paul Volcker had in the seventies, but they're using different tools to get to the same result. 
So they're going to manipulate interest on, interest on excess reserves and RRPs and sterilize money to try and discourse. I don't know if they're going to be successful, Tom. I think the whole thing like explodes on them. But because Europe is going to collapse, they're going to get a lot of ability to just sell a lot of these assets into the market as you know the trillions of dollars worth of European and emerging market cap, capital just flows into the US. But the midterms are everything because the midterms are going to determine what the future of the United States looks like. And if it looks like it's going to be stable politically and not civil war, which goes back to my point earlier that they're trying to pr- promote the idea, the perception that the United States is headed towards civil war, okay, that if that doesn't happen, then you're going to see trillions of dollars flow into the U.S. U.S. dollar index is going to go to 130. Yeah, our exports are going to drop off like a rock and it's going to be a mess, but you know, none of that stuff will matter. What will matter in the short term is that it will give the Fed the ability to shrink the balance sheet by a significant amount, break Europe, break Davos, super peace with with the Russians, and start carving up the world into a multipolar arrangement. And break, you've got to break this colonialist mindset that is using fake money through central bank profligacy to buy favors and to buy weapons to start wars. That's what's got to end. And it's going to take a while, and we may not survive it in our current form. And it may mean that for, you know, when you and I are much older and grayer in the 2030s and the 2040s, that the Chinese are the dominant, you know, economic powerhouses in the world while we're rebuilding and licking our wounds. But, you know, Chinese, the China's growth has been unbalanced. So they, they may be on top, but they may only be on top for 20 or 30 years. They may not be building a 300-year empire. Okay. Like, and all that's doing is, in, in my mind, all that's really happening is that all of this is everybody's fighting amongst themselves while gold and Bitcoin sit on the sidelines going, you know, you're coming back to us, right? You all know that it's coming back to the people. But to clarify, you think that something in the real economy happens this year? Oh, yeah. I mean, we're already in a recession. Dude. Come on. We had negative growth last quarter. We're going to have negative growth this quarter. That'll be two. Like, it's, GDP growth is a dumb metric anyway. Like, who cares? Like, it's already there. Okay. The only reason we had GDP growth at the end of Q4 was because they were still building inventory and they were just counting as part of now they can't sell the inventory. And now GDP growth is, is, you know, people don't want to buy that stuff. They don't want to buy, you don't want to buy pregnant Ken dolls. They have, they have, they got, they're paying five dollars a gallon for gas. I guess it's that simple. Like put it, you put it down to that. I'm going to like put on my Eddie Murphy from trading places hat. Right. Like, did you buy the G.I. Joe with the Kung Fu grip thing? Right. Remember that that speech in trading places? That's what I'm talking about now. That's where we are. The savings rate has already dropped. Why? There's no disposable income because food prices are up, you know, doubled year over year and gasoline prices are tripled. Well, guess what? There ain't no disposable income. There are nobody saving. And oh, by the way, when the savings rate crashes under no circumstances, will you ever see the Fed re-implement QE with a low savings rate? Because QE is meant to punish excessive savings. So the Fed has always used it. It's very simple. They're Keynesians. They believe in the paradox of thrift. When the savings rate gets above 7.5%, the Fed implements a new QE program. When the, when the savings rate is below 7.5%, they end QE. Done. It's just that simple. And as it's trending towards the 7.5% level, they start six months out going, yeah, we're going to taper. Go look, at the, go, go, go look at the chart. Go find the dates of when go. I did this. I have, I published this chart everywhere, but Hey, everybody can do this. Go get the personal savings rate of the United States 
and go get the dates of the start and stop points of QE1, QE2, QE3, when the Fed started raising, Operation Twist, Operation Twist 2, QE4, QE Eternity, all this stuff. Go, go and plot them out over the last 15 years or the last 13 years. And you'll see. It's very clear. It's very clear. It's not going to happen. There's not going to be any QE anytime soon. QT until until the until the until Congress finally capitulates and says, "Okay, we're going to cut spending by thirty percent." Boy, wouldn't that be great? As my favorite pop musician of all time said, "That'll be the day," and I'm looking forward to it. It, it may, like, I it's got to happen. Like the Fed has already said, they don't want to be the world's reserve currency anymore. So we don't need to run a budget deficit because of Triffin's paradox. Like they're already saying, they're even saying, yeah, the Jerome Powell's already come out and said, look, we don't necessarily have to have one reserve currency for the entire world. Jerome Powell said this. It's already there. It's already staring you in the face. We don't have to be the world's only reserve currency. Therefore, we don't have to run a trade deficit in order to send, in order to liquefy trade around the world. We can get back to normal everyday economics. And if we want to do that, national economics, not that I'm like a big fan of national economics, but we can get back to the Adam or proper Adam Smith model. And if we do that and we start that process and we signal to the market that we're going to do that and we do entitlement reform and everything else, I got news for you. Then, yeah, we could sell 50-year debt that's 10% backed by gold, redeemable in gold at the end, and we'll get trillions of dollars coming into this country. Do I think we're going to, do I think we have the political will in this country to pull that off? Oh, We'll save that for the next time I'm on the show. That's the roadmap. All right. Interesting, folks. The website and podcast is Gold, Goats, and Guns. Tom Luongo. Full disclosure, I'm a paid subscriber to his service. You get a whole bunch of extra goodies besides just his analysis. Love your chart reads, by the way. So check it out and consider signing up. And Tom, thanks so much for coming by. Hey, Tom, it's always a pleasure, dude. Enjoyed it. All right, friends, that's going to do it for today. Don't forget that if you haven't already, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. There's all kinds of additional content there, including my online courses, the first of which has already been uploaded and a lot more to come. So that's patreon.com slash Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Also, if you haven't downloaded a free copy of my ebook, it's the Fed Stupid, then just go to itsthefedstupid.com and download a free copy for yourself. It's also available in paperback at that link. And finally, if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.